0: Welcome to the Raiseology podcast with your host, pediatrician and parenting mentor, Sharon Somek, here to empower parents to raise resilient and independent children. Grab your coffee or your margarita and let's get started. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should be used to supplement rather than substitute the care provided by your physician.
1: If you'd like to discuss your
0: specific situation
1: and how the Razology 60-Day System can help transform your life, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, and most importantly, your relationship with yourself, book a free 15-minute call at razology.as.me forward slash consultation. Welcome back everyone to the Raiseology podcast. I have a very special guest here with me today. I have Linda Zacaro here and we are going to have a great discussion on child safety and what you can do in your home to avoid emergency situations and what you need to look out for. Linda has been an educator for over 30 years. She holds so many certifications, and the one that we're going to concentrate on today is that she's certified with the American Red Cross as an instructor in CPR, first aid, and AED. Her infant and child CPR workshops empower families to respond to an emergency involving their infant or child.
0: Welcome, Linda. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. So, Linda, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself um, and just so that we can get to know you a little bit and then we'll get into sort of um, the topic?
0: Sure. Um, Many years ago, I was, my degree is in elementary education. um, So I taught for a while and then went into the medical field. I became a childbirth educator with Lamaze International, a breastfeeding specialist. And then I wanted to bring health and safety into my classes And decided to go to the Red Cross and take their instructor course. And I have been doing that for, again, over 21 years. And I do certification classes as well as just parent workshops because they don't need to be certified to save their family. Um, but it's still the same skills that they're learning.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So you know, I um, I actually have taken Linda's CPR class. She's amazing, and I think that there is so much we can talk about in terms of how to keep our little ones safe. And like you said, I mean, as a parent, you may not need to be officially certified, but you might want to know what you need to do in those situations where. A child might be choking on something, or you know, different things. But I know that in as part of your course, you teach a lot about ways to avoid getting into some of these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's always the best first step to talk about. So, if you don't mind, let's talk about that a little bit.
0: Sure. What I tell parents when they take my classes. I hope you never have to get to the point where you're performing the skills that you're learning today. Yes. The first part of the class is always about awareness because my, my feeling is awareness leads to prevention. Um, that being said, you can't you know bubble wrap your child. They need to grow and play and explore. Uh, but we still have to be vigilant in certain areas. You know, children are not just small adults. Um, their heart rate and breathing rate is faster. Um, they need help right away if they have a breathing emergencies emergency, and parents need to realize that. Um, so that you know is important uh, for them. So um, that's why I, I have parents understand life is busier now. I think we have much more distractions, and that's how things sometimes can happen. Uh, without us really being aware. So it's paying attention to certain things with children, car seat eating, uh, walking and eating around the home. You know, I, I cover all of those safe eating habits, dangerous foods, things of that nature. So um, car seat safe, safety being the, the First thing that I usually address in my classes. Uh, The other thing is, you know, we live now uh, where a lot of the the younger generation is using cell phones as their only phone in their home. They don't have a landline anymore, and and it's so important for parents to understand that that cell phone has to be always where they remember where they put it. Um, I had a couple recently whose baby was choking on her own mucus, and. was really struggling and the mother was giving the back blows and it got to the point where the baby was really having issues and she wanted to call 911 and couldn't remember where she laid her phone down in the home. So now she's frantically running room to room with the infant in her arms and I tell parents that phone must always be where you know where it is, have quick access to it, and must always be charged. Especially when you have children, um, because you need to be able to call for help right away. So that's always important.
1: Sure. I mean, I'm totally guilty of doing this myself. And um, as a result, we found actually a great solution uh, in our home where if you buy a cordless phone that's Bluetooth capable, you can actually use the cordless phones and, put, you know, usually they come with like three or four phones and I, we put them around our house and I can actually use the cordless phone to dial out from using really my cell phone connection and the, and actually receive calls too. So it's really cool. It's a great system. The only thing is you do have to have your cell phone charged and your Bluetooth on for it to work. But as long as those two things are, um, in place, the, it is actually a great way to make sure you sort of have a house phone even without a
0: landline. Making sure the number on your home, uh, if you had a call for help, is visible from the street in the dark. Getting help to you as quickly as possible is important. So uh, people don't realize when I do a lot of private classes, I have difficulty finding a lot of homes because they don't have numbers that are illuminated or they don't have numbers at all. Um, so that's another thing that Um, just helps the process so doing that then when it comes to car seat safety there are newer guidelines the newer one is to rear face a child um, not two years but 35 to 40 pounds and I always get the eye roll in my class like oh my gosh you know my kids knees are already up to his eyebrows you know how am I possibly going to keep him to that weight and I know it's hard uh, but they do find that with crash testing, there is less injury to the spine and neck of a child, a young child, when rear facing as long as possible. They they sustain much less injury. And you ask any doctor in an emergency room, they rather see a child come in with a broken leg uh, than off a bit of spine or neck injury. So we're trying to keep them rear facing as long as possible, uh, if they can. The installation of a car seat. It's important that. A lot of parents just have them checked by a car seat inspector, which is free. So many locations in New York and Long Island uh, that you can go to. And they do say 95 out of 100 seats they look at are not installed correctly. Um, So that's important. Um, Making sure that, you know, you have some safe things in the car. If they're rear facing in an SUV, they have to keep that trunk cover closed or the net. Because anything that is not nailed down and becomes a weapon in a collision is going to hit that baby in the face. Um, And parents don't realize that. So uh, we need to make sure that you don't have things that could be flying around in the event of of an accident. Also, with girls especially, we tend to put a lot of things on their head, a lot of accessories. Even I always... Tease parents, the the headband with the satellite dish flower that gets five channels, um, that could be pulled down over, um, a young baby's face and they could be having difficulty breathing without the, the parent who's driving even realizing it, uh, barrettes and clips can be put in their mouth, uh, band-aids that the pediatricians put on after a shot, if that leg is exposed, um. That needs to be removed before they leave the pediatrician's waiting room because they'll eventually find it and it could go in their mouth and the biggest biggest car seat rule is making sure they're never eating or drinking in a car seat especially under the age of five parents do it they start it um, to keep them quiet babies and children are not born knowing they need a bottle in the car it's the parent creates this environment and before you know it, you're going from a bottle to a five-course meal. Um, and I certify many nursery schools on Long Island, and the directors always say they pull in in the morning eating breakfast, and they leave a pickup being handed lollipops in the car. That's a moving vehicle that stops and goes. And if you had a slam on the brakes, we had a six-year-old with a juice pack straw down his throat in an emergency room. So the eating in the car is probably my biggest pet peeve. Please don't start it if you um, have a young child and haven't done it yet. And if you have a toddler, try to discontinue that because that is really an issue. Even if they weren't choking and they were eating and made a funny sound, you as the driver now are going to maybe panic a little bit um, and not want to turn around or you're looking in the mirror. What are you doing now? You took your eyes off the road. So it's compromising everybody in that car. So that is probably one of the most important car seat rules um, that parents look at me and go, oh, my gosh, you know, I never thought of that.
1: Yeah. And it's so easy. I mean, I know. Right. I have a toddler and uh, and older kids, and I can tell you it's hard sometimes. But um, the point is, if you are yeah. one of those parents who have already started this habit, please don't think that you can't change it. Um, certainly can, you know, make a new rule and that's within your right as a parent to do and to enforce. Right. Um, and of course, if you're listening and you Mm -hmm. are one of those parents who has a no eating in my car rule, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I would now you have a good reason to really continue that and to really realize why it's so important to to have these rules and to to really enforce them, because it's so easy for us to think that something so innocent as giving pancakes right. in the car on the way to school would be not a big deal.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's important. And, and yeah, the, the overdressing, you know, um, that a lot of parents are aware of because it's been publicized in so many places. Uh, on TV and articles on Facebook that we're not putting bulky clothing on children. Uh, always remember one thing, kids are always warmer than we are. <laughs> so they're they they they're warmer, they don't need to be overdressed. I see infants uh, look like they're gonna ski the Alps a- a- in a car seat with snow suits and hoods and hats. That's only gonna compromise the way those straps are are holding that child in, and in fact, it's not. It's holding the jacket in place, but it's not holding the child. So don't overdress them, make sure those straps are pulled tight enough where you can only slip two fingers behind. And the clip plate, I see so many parents forget to raise that clip plate, that chest clip up where it's in line with the armpits. So that goff a bit, there was an, um, an accident and that thing tightens, it has to hit them in the hardest part of their chest. We forget when we strap them in that that thing has to be pulled up high enough. And what gets in the way of doing that are those strap covers. So the manual will tell you if I can, if you can't get the clip plate up high enough and the strap covers are in the way, remove them. Um, and I see many, of, many parents um, where that's not happening. It's in the soft tissue of their tummy it's down too low that's going to injure them so that's another safety point that i like to bring up a lot
1: yeah i think we always think you know of our children's comfort and we want to make sure they are comfortable and that we have a soft place for them and and something that will make them feel better throughout the ride but the reality is that we need to to always consider their safety as the number one priority And make sure that we're not compromising safety, even in an unlikely event, to help them feel more comfortable or to Mm -hmm. silence a whine or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or sort of let them determine what is going to happen. Because they don't know that safety is a concern and they don't think about things in that way. You know, as their parents, really, it is our role to make sure that we are thinking about those things that they can't think about.
0: Absolutely. The parent's job is to keep that child safe. And, you know, it is hard. I, you know, I've been in, you know, I have a three and a half year old granddaughter now. And I see, you know, it, it's it's a struggle to get them in those car seats. And, and I do understand that. But like I said, you can't compromise safety, though. Um, that has to be first and foremost.
1: Yeah, and I just want to um, ask a question because I think I know the answer, but you cannot actually – I've seen this in a lot of different Facebook groups, parents asking where they can go to have a car seat installed, and I think no one actually installs car seats for you. You have to install it, and then you can get your car seat checked.
0: Yeah, I mean, some car seat inspectors are, are, are good enough that they'll install it for you. Um, you know, you could try it. I always tell the dads or the moms in class – You know, try it. Try to put it in. Um, If you're really struggling, then they'll do it for you. But try and see, make the attempt, and then have them check it. Um, Because it's not so much the car seat that performed best in a crash test or is most expensive. It's basically the car seat that's most compatible to your car. So there are seats that are really good and rated really well. And just don't fit right in certain cars. So a lot of car seat inspectors will tell a parent, you know what? In this model car, maybe this is a better seat for you. Um, the, the two seats that do install probably the best in every model car is the, um, Kiko. Everybody says Chico, but it's Kiko Key Fit and the, um, Graco Snug Ride. And those are the infant seats. Um, but having them check. Just to make sure, sometimes they have to cut a pool noodle in half because the back bench on the car tips a little and that base is just not sitting tight enough. Do not put any seat protector under the car seat. A lot of the things they sell, these accessories, they are not meant to be put in the car or under the car seat. They, you have to be careful that you don't add anything to the seat that wasn't manufactured with the seat because uh, that will just compromise the way it's uh, in, that, in that car. So, uh, And a lot of seats are being placed at the passenger door. Um, obviously, if they could get it in the center, they will. Um, but they do say with rear-facing, passenger door is safe. A lot of moms that had a C-section may have difficulty reaching into the center and pulling that seat in and out. If you have two children, the older one should be behind, be behind the driver, and the younger one at the passenger door. We don't like the young babies, if you did street-side parking, being taken out into traffic. So we do recommend the younger one be put at the passenger door. And always be careful, again, back to the eating. We had an incident once where a four-year-old was eating chicken nuggets and decided to be a good sister and share with her one-year-old. And the one-year-old choked. Um, and the mom was driving. So um, that could have been a very serious situation. So we have to, again, be careful what the older one may be giving, passing over to, to the younger yeah, one.
1: That's true at home, too. You know, you have to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes kids have toys and they think they're being good brothers and sisters.
0: And right. small
1: toys. And I think most parents have some. Uh, sort of awareness for it. But, you know, we like to encourage independent play, and you may not want to be watching mm-hmm. every second. So at least make sure that if you're leaving your kids unattended, you know, in your own home, for right. that the stuff around them is safe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, when it comes to inside of the home, I always tell parents, when you're getting ready to childproof, as soon as that child is mobile, and you know, starting to crawl, get on your hands and knees and crawl with them because that's where you see your home, uh, where they see it from that perspective down there. And you miss a lot of things when you're walking around the house. So it's important to get down to their level. Um, There are professional child proofers out there. I will tell you that, um, you know, there are certain people that will come to me and say, oh, I just don't know how to secure this area. How do I put a gate here? Uh, what do I do? And 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 I'll recommend uh, people that could come to their home and do it for them. Yeah. That being said, there's a lot of you know things that you could purchase yourself and do it yourself, but go to someone reputable who's licensed, and they can really help guide you uh, to make that that house safer for the child.
1: Yeah, and especially if you have. Um things in your home that might not be a standard size or um, that you're not really sure about, that can be really helpful. We had a professional child proofer come and, um, and actually custom make a gate for us and something to secure our basement door so that the kids go mm-hmm. down um, by themselves when they were too young. So it really yeah. is a, a great
0: service. It is absolutely. And yeah, um, you know, I would say bathroom and basement doors um, don't rely on, you know, doorknob covers um, because those squeeze and turn things, the three year old figures it out sooner than the adult. Yeah, sure. So double up on that, put a slide latch up higher, you know, a door guard, um, just to make it, you know, to protect it even more so the child can't fall down the stairs or get into the bathroom unattended. So, um, you know, those are things we talk a lot in my classes about childproofing. I give them a guide that goes room by room. Um, you know, a lot of people now have a home office and it may be part of their um, family room. It could be part of even a, a section, uh, a, a spot in the kitchen. And they're not realizing that a lot of these uh, office products are falling to the floor. Um, paper clips, rubber bands, these are all highly chokeable items. So we have to be very vigilant and careful you know, what's down on the ground. Yeah.
1: And so you mentioned also about eating around the house. And I know that, you know, I work with parents on um, picky eating. One of the common stories I get is that they are basically chasing their kid around the house, hoping.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. This happens a lot. I mean, you being a pediatrician, you know, that, you know, once they hit the toddler age, food is the last thing that interests them. (laughs) <laughs> but they will never starve themselves. Nope. <laughs> you know, when hungry, they're going to eat. And, I, and my 34-year-old, I remember my pediatrician telling me, he's not a poor eater, you're a poor feeder. Um, and just, you know, if he doesn't eat dinner, he'll eat breakfast. And, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around that as a parent, and I understand that. But the biggest mistake you can make is handing your child something to eat and having them roam free. Because you have to remember, if a child is choking and obstructed, you no longer hear sound. So if you're in the kitchen and they're in the family room, not only will you not hear them, but children under the age of four tend to not come find an adult if they are in trouble and choking, because they see that as, "Uh uh-oh, I'm getting in trouble. I'm going to get yelled at because when children start to self-feed, parents are almost kind of disciplining them. How much is in your mouth? Chew carefully. Uh, open your mouth. Let me see what's in there. So they see that as, I did something wrong. Oh boy, I'm getting in trouble I, and they hide. So they'll go behind a couch or a chair and a bit. when not found soon enough, you know, they can become unconscious if they're obstructed. So. That, my rule is no seat, no eat. They have to be sitting and with you that you watching them when they're eating. I
1: like that rule. Um, I think it also, you know, listen, the truth is it helps in a lot of other areas too, right? We have um a living room that is like right near, right off of our kitchen. And the rule in our house is you cannot eat in the living room. And my kids are old. Right. that it's not a place that we allow food. The only place we allow food is in the kitchen, you know, and
0: that's, that's right.
1: uh, it's also really important to make sure that you are around your toddlers when they're eating. It's so easy to, you know, try to leave the room for a second to get something and, you know, a second becomes a distraction and it becomes a few minutes and a lot can happen in a few minutes in a little one's life, you know.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I always tell parents, you know, my goal is not to scare you, um, but I do give them examples of things that have really happened. And sometimes just hearing that wakes you up a little bit and you're like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this can be very dangerous. You know, you have to, those, those minutes count in the, in an emergency with a child, you have to make sure you're right there to help them because the last thing you want is a child who's obstructed and unconscious. Um, that's, that's very serious. So if that child is choking, you want to be able. Now, I do tell parents that a lot of the time they are panicking too quickly. <laughs> and children have a very sensitive gag reflex. And they will gag on everything. Um, but you have to know when to step in and when to really do something that's a little bit more aggressive. So knowing those signs and you kind of see it on a child's face. I mean, if they are really just imagine yourself choking, you get panicky. So they all flail. Um, their eyes get big. Um, you may hear a gasping sound where they're struggling to get air. Um, and but then on the flip side, you could get the child who just is staring and his mouth is kind of open and not making any sound at all. So there are multiple ways that you know children can present that when they're in trouble uh, with an obstruction.
1: And you teach all of these in your class, right?
0: Yeah, everything um, in my class is um, they get the skill sheets that they can then review at home afterwards that I would use in any certification class. So the program that I teach for parents is tailored for young children but it's the same skills that the American Red Cross would teach if I was certifying someone. So everyone gets practice time because when they come to a talk that I give maybe at a store, um, I always tell them this is just demonstration. There's nothing like having that mannequin in your arms and really feeling how to position them, how to give the back blows Um the Heimlich, most institutions now are recommending we don't first go to that with children because the Heimlich maneuver, if done incorrectly on a child especially, can injure them. Yeah. So we have to teach back blows first. And I, I also speak to many and train many um, faculty and cafeteria monitors in school districts because they're really not trained to handle it. And I always tell them, you don't have to, as long as you bend the child forward. The, the benefit of the back blows and the beauty of it is that it could be used on any age. It could be done when someone is sitting in a wheelchair. They don't have to be standing. Um, so it really helps the parent to really do something quickly and not be afraid, oh my gosh, my hand is in the wrong spot. I'm not doing it right. Um, and they, 95 if not more percent of the time, the back blows are effective, and um, that's I love teaching the back blows to parents now and even anyone because I think more people will step forward and be a good Samaritan because we get it's too personal to do a Heimlich on someone, but we have no problem hitting somebody on the back. Um, so, but like I said, with young children, more important than than any other age to begin with back blows first. So with infants, it's different toddlers that are standing, uh, but we go over all of those different age groups and exactly what you could be doing um, and what position to put them in. And then I tell parents, you know what, go home and practice on your child because you don't want that to be the time that you're first figuring it out uh, when the emergency. So get that 15 month old, put them across your lap, see how you can get them positioned correctly. So, that if you're home alone, you'll know what to do. It's it's important to um, serve foods in safe ways, have them sitting, um, making sure that you're not kind of falling into the trap of watching every other child um, that's your child's age and seeing how they're eating and what they're eating. Uh, Because every child develops differently. And some children are more texture sensitive than others. And this becomes the biggest topic in my. CPR classes the eating and the gagging and when are they ready for this and when are they ready for that and I tell them it's an individual thing each child is different and They have to be I, I was talking to a feeding specialist one day and she said it could take over ten attempts at a new texture for a child to be able to accept it and handle it so um, You know, they they have to make sure they're serving things in safe ways. Meats are tough for kids. Uh, Maybe something like chopped meat is easier initially. Um, Cutting the food in smaller pieces. Making sure they're cutting those grapes. Oh my gosh, Sharon, there's so many parents that look at me when I tell them at four years of age, you should still be cutting them. And they're like, oh, you're kidding me. And until I show them a picture of a five-year-old recently that had a grape in his airway. And they couldn't dislodge it. He had to be operated on. So anything round and slippery, um, kids don't sit and eat quietly. Right. They're doing everything else but just focusing on chewing. Um, and anything round, olives, grape tomatoes, grapes. I bought blueberries recently at Costco that I don't know what they shot them up with. <laughs> but they would be the size of grapes. <laughs> and my granddaughter is a shoveler. And, I tell parents that as well. You have that shoveler, you have to either give them smaller amounts or portion it out into a mini muffin tin or an ice cube tray because it forces them now to pinch the food with their two fingers and not grab it with their fist. So it slows them down a little bit and it helps those kids that want it and want it now um, but is, they're not putting too much in their mouth at one time. Yeah, and what
1: are you know besides grapes and and um, grape tomatoes and the more obvious things? I guess you know some people think that I I'm overreacting when I tell them that their toddlers should not be eating popcorn, right? And um, other foods that you would say are on that top five list of foods
0: that you yeah. Said <laughs> The list keeps growing, uh, recently raisins were added onto the dangerous food list and, and the grandparents look at me like, are you kidding? And I tell them, listen, one or two raisins portioned out are fine, but if you give the child a box of raisins, they're in there all clumped together. So if they take that clump and put it in their mouth, they're going to choke. It's sticky, it's tacky. Even if you put a bunch on the high chair tray, they're going to fist it and squeeze them together. So raisins have to be portioned out. Uh, baby carrots, um, a perfect storm. Again, round and slippery. They're so really you need hard. to cook the carrots. I,
1: honestly, I have choked on baby carrots not that mm-hmm. long ago. And so, I mean.
0: Yeah, it's baby. it's not a, a really easy food, um, you know, to to chew and, and break down. Oh, those are really hard. Um, cheese sticks, uh, any kind of hot, Stringy mozzarella is going to be an issue for a young child. So I tell parents, if it's pizza, let it cool a little, let the, the cheese get more firm, um, and then give it to the child. Mozzarella sticks, that are, I have fifth graders telling me they choked on them. Um, so anything that's long and stringy, they don't break it down as fast and it could get stuck. Um, obviously, hard candy. The biggest, biggest one is are hot dogs and hot dogs have been declared by engineers to be the perfect airway plug. Um, I had a a woman I know very well years ago was at Disney with her four children and her three-year-old unfortunately died choking on a hot dog because the texture of a hot dog, when you boil it in water, it expands and it does the same thing in a wet airway. It will swell. And then it's hard to dislodge it. So cutting the hot dog in circles and then in half or in fours is recommended when they're very young. And even if you never give your child a hot dog because you don't think it's healthy, you may get an organic chicken dog. Same texture. So um, cut it that way. And then once it's in the bun, listen, I, I tell parents, I don't care if your kid is nine, you slice it long ways. You butterfly it. Just like Shake Shack does, because that at least if it goes down, it's in half right. um, and it's not going to be that round piece that can expand in the airway. Marshmallows do the same thing. They swell. Yeah. So under four, no marshmallows. Yeah. Popcorn also, um, you know, so those are the, the ones that are really at the top of the list. Raw vegetables like celery, um, You know, apples, it's the skin. So I'll tell parents, if you're going to introduce the apple, take the skin off in the beginning, uh, cut it in small pieces, start the size of your fingernail. You know, parents are always concerned. And again, it's your child. You know, there are kids that choke on Cheerios. Um, So I have no problem with the parent initially breaking them in half. If that makes them feel better, (laughs) that's, that's fine. But teaching your child, as soon as they have language skills, the concept and the word coughing so that if they are coughing and choking on something but they're still an open airway and you tell them cough harder um, and they understand what you want them to do many times they will clear their own airway and you didn't even have to touch them so that's something that you can start teaching a child at 15 months Uh, And I've had parents come back to me and say, oh, my gosh, it worked. Um, They they was choking on a strawberry, and I kept saying, cough harder, cough harder, and out it came. So give them the skills as well um, to know what to do, and that's also very helpful.
1: That's great advice. Um, Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I have to say I'm learning so much just in this conversation myself. So what else would you like to talk about today?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, just, you know, obviously, once the child um, has an incident where they're not breathing, you know, parents need to understand cardiac arrest doesn't happen often in children. Uh, With adults, it's more from heart attack. Um, But with children, what, what would cause a cardiac arrest, the top reasons would be SIDS, electrocution, drowning trauma to the chest like an athletic event, that's why schools have to have AEDs on the field, or the child we discussed earlier that may have choked wasn't found right away and was unconscious behind the couch. What children suffer from are breathing emergencies. The top three reasons, and that's why I cover so much of it in class, is choking, asthma, allergic reactions. The generation now of parents must learn how to use an EpiPen, and what are the signs of anaphylaxis. Because they're going to have the play date one day when mom comes to the door and says, thanks for having Tommy over. By the way, Tommy has allergies. Here's his EpiPen just in case. Is that parent going to feel comfortable with that child in the house if they've never been trained or even know what to do with an EpiPen? So I include that in all my parent workshops now. It's very, very easy to learn how to use. And anaphylaxis, you know, when teaching parents the signs, um, will understand what to do. So um, they have to realize that once they're having a breathing emergency and they become unconscious, we have really streamlined CPR. We make it easier for the layperson so they don't have to remember so much. Remember, the job of the layperson it's to sustain life till more advanced care gets to the scene. So we don't even teach the pulse anymore. There, there's such a delay in people finding a pulse on someone when they're not trained to do that. So we say if the child is unconscious and we teach how to do that, how to determine, then check for breathing. Obviously, make your phone call. Check for breathing. And then as soon as there's no breathing, you don't worry about the pulse. Go immediately into compressions. And that makes it much easier for parents to remember. Um, so I think by streamlining it, um, it's helping a lot when we're teaching the lay responder.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's um, really important for us to know that there are things that we can educate our, ourselves on, um, hoping, honestly, that we never have to use it. but that if we do have to use it, that at least we aren't going to panic because we know what to do. Yeah, with that, I'm going to ask you, Linda, how can parents um, contact you if they are local to you and would like to take one of your classes? Or do you have um, any way for parents to reach you um, and just ask you questions and
0: Sure. The best way is go to my website, which is just my name, Linda Zuccaro, Z-U-C-C-A-R-O dot com. And you will get to my website and there will be the list of all the classes I teach. And then on my calendar, the locations. I'm in so many places in Nassau and Suffolk um, that I do group classes. Um, I do home group classes. I tell parents the greatest thing to do is, Anyone who's going to be caring for your child should be prepared to handle an emergency. So get the grandparents involved, get the nanny, um, anyone that's going to be caring for the child. It's so important. So going to the website is a way of reaching me. My number is on there um, and reach out. And if you're interested in a class, I will get back to you. Uh, very promptly. That's
1: perfect. I will add that link to the show notes. And I really want to thank you so much for being here and educating us on this topic. And um, we will certainly have you back on the show to talk about some of the other important topics that we touched on.
0: Great, Sharon. It was a pleasure uh, being here today. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Raiseology podcast head over to www.raisology.com where you'll find plenty of You've Got This resources for parents and any links or tools mentioned in today's show. Be sure to hit subscribe on your podcatcher so that you can listen to the next episode the minute it's out. Until next time, have an empowered week.